you know, we're a part of that thread of history that's going into this project and we're breathing new life into it and bringing it up to modern day so that hopefully that historical thread will stay with it for much longer and then we add a layer of that. Welcome to Titans of Trade. I am your host, Constance Dunn, and today we welcome architect David Thompson, whose Los Angeles firm, Assemblage, is responsible for commercial and residential projects, some of which have been kind of catching fire in the States and California and well beyond. So we're going to talk about that today. So welcome, David. Hi, thanks for having me. So it's what I find really interesting is you are a California modernist and your works tend to be focused in Southern California, but you have, a, there's some awards we'll talk about, but they're not just in the US, there's AIA and, and whatnot, um, but they're also in Europe as well. And there's a lot of press. I was just reading an article, I think it was about Laurel Hills and it was in an architectural digest, France. So I'm kind of curious if you've thought about what is so kind of captivating about projects like Laurel or Wonderland Park? Well, I think Southern California has always been, you know, a marker of design throughout the world. You know, there's always been a focus on it. Um, there's some incredible things of, uh, you know, the lifestyle that we can have here, certainly as it relates to architecture and design. Um, you know, we, we can be outside 365 days a year. So it really lends a really, um, incredible opportunity for the architecture, um, to kind of engage with the landscape and things like that. So California has kind of always been on the, on the radar in the world. And I think that we are, you know, continuing a, um, you know, a, a modernist sensibility that's been, you know, cultivated here for many years. And I think we're just mm. kind of carrying on that torch. Yeah. And it, it's kind of interesting about Laurel as well, Laurel Hills residents, because that has gotten just a lot of awards. So I think it's kind of beyond California being interesting kind of in your globally or in Europe as well. These projects of yours, I mean, they've really kind of caught fire. And if you're being modest, don't. <laughs> Because um, is it because you've nailed like modernism in such a specific way? I mean, uh, sure. I think we have. I think we have nailed it. I think we continue mm -hmm. to nail it. And in this particular project, I just think it resonates with a lot of people. I think what right. um, I think what you know, there's a there's a warmness to this mm -hmm. place. There's mm -hmm. a special. I mean, I'm sitting here in the Laurel Hills residence now, and in the, on uh -huh. the site. And there's something very special about the place. Um, there's something special about that that just resonates. It's got a warm quality to it. All right. of our work, we consider it to kind of be a warm modernism. So I think mm -hmm. it's um, it's quite accessible to people. Um, right. People understand it. It's not, um, it, it just resonates with them. And I think when you come here and you kind of, are engaged in this in the in the natural environment and the openness of the plan and these doors behind me and the doors in right. front of me all kind of open up and you're really right. kind of seamlessly spilling into the landscape. I think that really mm -hmm. resonates. And then the material palette here, it's very mm -hmm. warm, it's very accessible. And um, I think it I think the 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 architecture here really takes um, the user and then the people component of architecture really seriously. Mm -hmm. And so I think that 
because that is sort of a driving force of a lot of the work that we do, I think right. it resonates with people. Right. And there's something about, let's say, Laurel Hills or Wonderland or actually Fryman Canyon. I can't wait to talk about. That's a fascinating project. But perhaps they're using this as a template for how to do this themselves or to glean ideas because you're not just doing modernism, California modernism, you're also doing it like there's a lot of emphasis on like your materials, like sustainable materials. So I guess that's probably very evocative and interesting to people. Is that like a big part of it? Yeah. I mean, I think materiality is an important piece. And like I said before, uh -huh. we try and we try and uh, bring a kind of warm modernism to it where there's right. materials that are tactile and they're uh -huh. and they they resonate with the human spirit and mm -hmm. they're warm and natural and things like right. that so there is that you know while certainly here in southern california our projects are really engaging with the landscape the materiality right. is also engaging with the landscape too and it just feels very natural and the how the houses and things mm -hmm. feel really rooted in their site and really part of the landscape and mm -hmm. not so much like a building set on land, but a building that really becomes part of the landscape and part of the, uh, the site. I'm curious about your mid-century modernism connection, because I see mm -hmm. in your works that you really, really seem to have a really profound understanding of it and you're able to take it to build upon it chapters and chapters and in a very modern way, but in a way that's really, uh, you know, really is honest to the premises. You know, you're not um, doing something that goes, you know, where the finished product is like, oh, I can see where there was some work done or I can see what, where, where the, the real house was and then they've kind of added some jazz. So I'm curious about like your background. You're an L.A. native, so probably that has something to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't born here, but I've been here mm -hmm. since I was like four years old. So as far uh -huh. as everybody's concerned, I'm an, I'm a Los Angeles native. Uh, I grew up on the Sunset Strip in West Hollywood. So like right in the thick of it. Um, my father's an architect and he had his own practice as a young, as when I was a young kid. So architecture's kind of been in, in my blood since I was quite young. And, um, you know, California, you know, so that, you know, I was certainly as I, when I discovered that architecture was something that I wanted to be a part of, you know, the California history and, uh, and, and California modernism, something that was really uh, influential to me. And, you know, I had visited um, some of the early California, our, my father's partner owned a Schindler house, the Howe house in Silver Lake that I used to go to sleepovers at when I was a kid. So there was this sort of like this kind of subtle, uh, you know, subtle kind of um, fiber that was through my body that I didn't even really know was kind of happening because it was kind of happening subtly in the background. And then when, as I discovered architecture as something that was, that I wanted to do and be a part of, you know, it was very easy to kind of like come back to the roots of Southern California as a, as a, a means of inspiration and a means of, um, you know, where I could kind of focus myself as I learned more about uh, what was interesting to me in architecture. And so California, the California modernist became a very, you know, a, a sort of root of what uh, has developed me as my own, uh, you know, my own sensibility as an architect. And it's interesting because you went to Tulane for your undergraduate and master's. So I'm curious about like your training there. Like that's, a, that's yeah. an interesting choice. Like, did you 
how was that molded there? Oh, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's, uh, it's such a fantastic place. I mean, New Orleans is still to this day, one of the, my favorite places on the planet. And, um, it's very inspirational. I mean, it's a very, obviously a very historic city. Um, so the fabric is, you know, it's got, you know, a very rich and dark and beautiful history to it. And being in school there was kind of interesting to kind of be in the backdrop of this very historical city and being a part of the school of architecture that was really progressive thinking and, and things like that. So the, the contrast of, of those two things against each other was really an incredible breeding ground for really amazing ideas and thought process. And it, um, it taught me a lot and it really formed me into who I am as a human and as an architect. Um, but it was also like getting away from California too. Like it was like, I, I think in hindsight, I didn't quite know that when I was doing that, but, um, when I left to go away, it was, you know, I was, because I grew up in California, I thought everything was um, centered around California. And so getting away and seeing, meeting other people from other, you know, cultures and backgrounds and locations and things like that were all kind of, you know, uh, you know, really fueling uh, me as a human and then subsequently as an architect. But those experiences were, were you know, profound for me. No doubt. And I'm curious when you have a project where you have a bona fide mid-century structure and you are charged with expanding it, with making it modern, um, what are, how do you do that? How do you kind of dig into its roots and then build upon them? Again, doing it faithfully in that way you seem to be able to do. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because every project sort of delivers a little bit of a different, um, you know, set of ingredients for it, right? I mean, we're not necessarily doing, um, you know, uh, meticulous restorations of these projects. Mm -hmm. We are doing renovations and, um, and things to those projects. So they, they sort of call for a little bit of a different um, uh, methodology, if you will, in the way we approach them because... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we look at these things, we look at these projects, we look at them for their history, we're inspired by them, by their history and what they were, you know, what they were looking to accomplish in their day. And then we are looking to kind of revive them and bring them into a modern day for our clients and whatever um, their particular requirements are. So, you know, we sit with these projects for a while, we're inspired by them, we kind of, we, we let them um, inform us as to mm -hmm. what needs to be done. I mean, obviously, like I said, we're not uh, meticulously restoring them as though it's mm -hmm. a, you know, like a, a recreation of that. We're, we're trying to bring it into its modern day and trying to think, you know, trying to think what those architects and designers were trying to encapsulate in their projects then and trying to re- uh, use that thread as a, as a way in which we approach the projects today. Ah, I love the thread. So it's almost like it could be like an actor's technique in a sense, like we're sure. step into the character's shoes in a way. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we're trying to bring our own sensibility and right. we understand that our role in the history of these projects is also uh -huh. different, right? You know, right. Uh, it, like I said, it's different. I think it is different to kind of 
to compartmentalize them to say, here's a restoration project mm-hmm. of a, you know, like some project that is, you know, that somebody is saying, like, I want to meticulously restore it and bring it back to what it was when it was mm-hmm. built. It's different than a renovation or addition to, to uh, you know, a historic or mid-century place. So we, you know, we are trying to put ourselves back into the shoes of the designers and architects of the time. But we realize also that, you know, we're a part of that thread of history that's going into this project and we're breathing new life into it and bringing it up to modern day so that hopefully that historical thread will stay with it for, you know, much longer. And then we add a layer of that, um, that history to, uh, to the project and to the place and, Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious because you live in one of your most notable projects, the Laurel Hill residence, and I'm mm-hmm. curious about um, taking risks and if there's something in there that you were like, hmm, this could be interesting or not. Um, but that maybe worked out really well because you're living in there, right? And I imagine yeah. it was built in a sense like a custom suit. You know, it must have been very interesting. But, but back to the question was again yeah. kind of rambling, but. Uh, the idea of a risk, something exciting that you were able to do because you were the client in this case. Yeah, like, I mean, there's there's inherent risk in embarking on any architectural project, whether you're Sorry. the client, you're the architect. There's just mm-hmm. it's their challenges, and so yeah, we you know by being the client, um, it it allowed us uh, I guess some freedom. Although our clients allow us quite a bit of freedom, actually. Um, I would say that there was a different type of obsessiveness about designing my own house. Than the, the, I mean, there's an obsessiveness with all of our projects that I, I encapsulate myself in all of our projects in some way. Um, but this one was hard to put down, you know, at, at, at bedtime and stuff like that. It's hard to put it down. Um, so that was, you know, that was a, a, an interesting component of it where it's just, it's kind of a nonstop thinking about it. And, um, but uh, you know, as far as risks are concerned, like, I mean, like I, like I said, it's a risk to take on a project like this inherently just in general. And so I don't, I don't know that we, you know, I think that everything we were doing here was so painstakingly thought about that, like at a certain point we had kind of mitigated the risks, if you will. So I don't come, I don't come to the other side of it going like, oh man, I wish I had done that. Or I wish I had done this. It was, it's more of a of a place of like, um, uh, you know, beautiful surprises or things like that. Like, you know, we thought about everything, but then all of a sudden you're kind of looking. You're like, oh, that's a really beautiful view of that tree, or that's a you know that that window now frames some really abstract, beautiful view that maybe you didn't understand. So. You know, these things are just like our all of our projects. They are they are works in progress for us to learn, and we are uh, we're in a constant as architects. We're on a constant learning process. We learn from everything. We learn from every step we make, and every project we're a part of, and every client, and every every problem that we're solving, and every project. So it, it's a continual learning process. I think that's the beauty of. The medium of architecture is that our, as architects, we we never stop learning. We keep learning from the last thing we did and the last challenge that we were uh, faced with, or whatever. So it's it's kind of a it's a it's a really beautiful growth process as 
as a as an artist and as a human and as an architect. Yeah, and I'm curious, just being in this work in your home, is there something that like just about every day or regularly you're like, that's great. I'm so happy I did that. Or something that's particularly user-friendly. Because I know pragmatism is a big part of your work. I know that's mm-hmm. like something that you guys talk about a lot at Assemblage, like being very yeah. pragmatic. Yeah, I mean, these projects need to work. You know, they need to, they, they, you know, when we solve problems as architects, we are solving problems for users and for people, right? And at the end of the day, it has to it has to serve those purposes as beautiful as it you know to me the most successful architecture hits on all of those points it's not just beautiful it's not just pragmatic it's all of those things and that's when to me it really sings and so you it has to work it has to work for the users and in the case of a house you know it has to it has to do all the things that you need for daily living and this house is for a family of four and it's, you know, it's working every day. It's working, you know, it's working for a family and that, you know, has to go through the motions of living that, you know, and in some ways the architecture is a backdrop for that. It wants to be, it wants to function and do all the things that it needs to do to, to serve the purposes of living um, and then at the same time, if it can be inspiring and maybe a subtle inspiration, you know, like walking from the bedrooms to the kitchen, you're passing through a bunch of glass walls that have, you know, landscape around you, you feel like you're walking outside. And I think if there's sort of a subtle engagement with nature on a daily basis that just kind of happens, that I think inspires you as a human, like I can see it and watching my kids and just sort of seeing them, you know, I grew up in a house that my father designed and, you know, maybe, maybe in the moment I didn't understand the sort of power of that, but later in my life, I understood that like being in environments that are designed and well thought of and inspiring, just kind of inspire you throughout your life and whatever you're doing. So, um, you know, but it can't, it has to do both. It has to do all those things, right? Like, right. like I said before, I think in order for it to be really successful, it has to fire on all those cylinders. Yeah. Here's kind of a funny DIY question. I love the idea of what you're saying about um, interacting with nature, you know, on the regular, just, you know, yeah. in the course of living in your home. And for someone who doesn't have a custom home or maybe isn't in an apartment or something, what's kind of like a way that they could do that? I know this is a strange question, but I always just love kind of tips and tricks from people who do this all day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, one thing, and, and you might not be able to change these things, but natural light is certainly a key component, right? Like um, the more natural light we can in, in, invite into the spaces, the, the, I think the better. I mean, we're fueled by sunlight and those things are great. So, yeah. um, but, you know, you might not have some of the opportunities if you're not living in a custom home, but you can right. surround yourself with design. I mean, design is everywhere and well thought out things, mm-hmm. products, furniture, architecture. I mean, design goes into so many things and it's so important. And mm-hmm. you can tell the things that are really well designed and, and have really, 
you know, great minds putting thought into them from, you know, everything. And so um, I think it doesn't just have to be architecture, but like Mm -hmm. just items in general that that surround or, you know, you work with every day or or things that are are part of your living experience or your working Mm -hmm. experience or, you know, there's a lot of really smart and talented people out there putting lots of thought into these Mm -hmm. things. And you can surround yourself with that. And I think that will help to inspire you in other ways to decide that well-designed things or homes or whatever it is that is enveloped your life is, is important. That's a good point. So even starting small, like getting a beautiful pen that appeals to you um, and that, that could potentially layer onto other things like, huh, okay, maybe I'm going to change up my desk and then add other things. And then lo and behold, you're surrounded by excellent design. (laughs) Absolutely. And then um, I think I think yeah. the more you get involved in that, you realize and you look around in the world that everything is like that. I mean, right. cities. I mean, think about cities, in, infrastructures and things like that as you move along. And when you run into something that isn't well designed and it's right. kind of ah. like sometimes really good design should go almost unnoticed. OK. All right. right? It, it should be very subtle in some ways. It uh-huh. can be very it can be very impactful and and very much in your face, but it can also be like just design that just kind of goes and subtly finds its way and something's re- it works. That really works uh-huh. and you're not sure why. Uh-huh. So it, so part of that is training your eye, kind of being conscious about what you're looking at and perhaps like deconstructing. Oh, I like this because, and then yeah. perhaps, okay. So what I are- I think so, deconstructing so- is a great way to put it. Okay, so what things have trained your eye besides sleeping in mid-century homes, living in a home, being raised by an architect? What were some things that were really pivotal to kind of training your eye or building your aesthetic even? Um, I mean, I think the greatest thing that has been my teacher is time. You know, just time. You just, you know, I, I look back you know, I've been kind of looking back at some of the older work that, you know, kind of got me where I'm going and it's very different than what I'm doing now. And I think it's just time. I think I've just evolved as a, as a, as a human and as a artist and an architect. And, um, just, I've learned a lot over the years by doing, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. And so, um, I, I want to say that what, is insp- what has inspired me hasn't changed, but I have learned a lot on my path. And that is what has informed me and inspired me and, and shifted gears for me in many ways. And so, you know, I think that the, the greatest thing for uh, artists and architects are time. Just, it's just you're, you're learning every, every, every place that you go, all the traveling I've done, all of the all the architecture that I've visited and all the people that I've spoke to and all the interactions with humans that help to inform me. I mean, because at the end of the day, we, as architects, we're designing buildings for people. We're not designing buildings for buildings. We're designing buildings for people. They're there for people to inhabit. And every, every form that there is, every, every, every building type out there, we're designing for people. So we have to understand people and how they interact with the world and how they, 
in the case of residential work, as I said before, how they live. What is it that, you know, and in some ways then when we interact with a client to do the work for like a residential project, you know, everybody everybody does many of the similar things in, in, the, in, in living in a house, but there may be unique things for everybody. So listening to them and sort of discerning from them what is unique for them in their life and what they need. And then how can we turn that into an architectural statement or vernacular or use design to, to interpret that in, arch, in architectural terms? Right. But, but we need to learn and understand people, human, uh-huh. human and understanding them and what we need and what, how we how we live is probably the most inspirational part of of our process. Yeah, you have to have a, a, an understanding of humans. And I imagine that requires it's important for you when you're meeting with clients and doing residential or commercial work that you basically, you have to bring your experience um, and tell them perhaps it's something that runs contrary to what they want, or you have to put forth, well, hey, I just want to let you know that, you know, things that are unforeseen for people who are not architects. Is that something you have to do a lot? Is that easy or how do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great question. I mean, I I suppose it depends on the person that we're interacting with. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to say that, you know, all of the people that have come to us are they're coming to us for our expertise and for our, you know, what we've done. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that the people that we are, have been you know, fortunate to work with over the years and doing our projects believe that uh, what we do has great value and that architects have um, uh a purpose and a reason and, and their methodology of thinking and their critical thinking skills and problem solving skills are important in solving their problems of whatever they are asking us to design. So um, it depends on who the people are, but often they are looking for us to kind of help define that. And then if they come with something that may be contradictory of that, then we you know, we, it, it creates discourse, it creates dialogue about what it is. And then because of our expertise, we might be able to kind of unpack that. We, we might learn something very new about that as well, but we will also maybe be able to unpack it in a way that most people don't have all of the layers of thinking that goes into something. Because we you know, we're thinking about the design, but there are many, many, many other layers that we are thinking about in order to mm-hmm. execute a project. Because there's right. lots of things that go into actually making these things happen. Right, right. And you have this secret knowledge. Like, for instance, if you are remodeling a mid-century home, there are going to perhaps be some unforeseen challenges. Um, sure. And uh, I was curious, are there a few that you run into over, you have run into over and over again, or like general I mean, areas? we run into them on every project that we, we were in, involved in, of course. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, and, and um, you know, in the mid-century example, you know, there's just, there's always the challenges of the way things were built back in the day and and the way they're built now and we can't many of those mid-century houses you can't build them you couldn't build them the same way now just Mm -hmm. because of uh construction methods and from energy codes and 
you know, just the different types of things that go into these projects, you just can't build them that way anymore. So, um, you know, often assemblies get thicker, things like that in order to accommodate uh, energy and insulation or things like that or um, stuff like that. So there's always challenges with trying to, um, you know, incorporate the modern day requirements onto something that is, you know, uh, 50 or 60 or 70 years old um, and trying to maintain the sensibility and the character or the detailing or things like that. Um, so it's, we're, we're challenged by that, but it also is, we welcome the challenge. Um, it, it makes it, uh, it makes it, uh, it makes it fun. It keeps us, uh, keeps us on our toes for sure. Exactly. And uh, I know sustainability is like a big part of your mission or your firm's mission. And just for defining that, what does that mean for you guys? I mean, I think, I think sustainability means for us that, you know, we have a responsibility as architects that are manipulating the built environment and manipulating the natural environment to be conscious of our, of, you know, how we step through the world. Um, so we, you know, we want to be very, um, we want to be very respectful when we, when we place a, 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 a structure on the land, um, we hold the land to be very sacred and special. Um, we want to do that in a manner that we feel like, uh, you know, these buildings can, can work, um, and, and be workhorses in sustainability. So if they're designed properly and, utilize, um, sustainable technologies, they can, um, they can kind of give back to, to the land, which is, you know, kind of a very native American philosophy, if you will, like be respectful of the land and give back to the land. So, um, I think the, you know, we, we try and employ whatever kind of sustainability measures we can, we sort of have a benchmark of what we do and, and uh, we encourage our clients to, to, to go further if we can. Um, so we just feel that there's a ultimate responsibility that we have because of the kind of work we do. Right. Right. Do you have a kind of material that you've used kind of recently or that you use quite a bit that you're particularly fond? Like, um, not a specific material. I think it's more of a, it's, it's more of a continual, um, uh, you know, we try and take a thread through the whole project and think of it um, from a sustainability perspective. So we use, um, you know, kind of a uh, sustainable thinking in our approach to all of all levels of design, both in the early design stages, as well as in, in the um, material selections and things like that. So we try and use it as a continual thread. Right. And it's it's interesting thinking about the architects, the famous mid-century and I'm a big Neutra person, but, um, and their writings and philosophically, you know, the ideas that really were the engine behind the product, right? Behind yeah. their design. And I'm curious, you obviously work in the vein of modernism in California. And I'm curious which one of like philosophically, um, if there's, you know, certain ideas or philosophies that really square with you personally? I mean, I think some of the, some of the, 
you know, the mid-century modern philosophies that really, um, you know, were tied into. There's certainly the um, just a new me- a new way of thinking of living, mm-hmm. certainly as it relates to residential. Uh, um, I just think that these, um, you know, the the connectivity with nature, the just the the indoor outdoor living, especially as it relates to Southern California, you know, Southern, as I yeah. mentioned earlier, the idea that you, we can be outside 365 days a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. We really look for the architecture to blur that line between indoor and outdoor and let your li- daily living experience be pushed to the outside um, right. so that we can just kind of be in nature and connect with nature Um, And so I think that's a real, um, you know, uh, thread from mid-century modernists like Neutra and Schindler and those guys. And then, you know, I think um, kind of stripping everything down to a sort of simplicity um, and being really true to the um, to the materials and things like that, I think were threads that we are, you know, we're certainly inspired by and trying to carry on um, from the midst of modernists. And talking to you, it makes sense how your firm does residential and commercial as well. I don't see that all the time. And it's interesting. You're able to toggle between those two. Yeah. I mean, they're different animals, no doubt. Right. Um, But, uh, and they're different types of projects that have different types of constraints and and Mm -hmm. problems to solve and so on. And, in our case, you know, we do a lot of hospitality and what and, uh, so with the restaurants we do, what we're trying to do with those is really bring a residential vibe to them. We are trying for the patron to kind of create this residential experience, if you will. And that's really kind of related to materiality and warmth and, you know, like a sort of very tactile nature to it and a comfortability um, in the experience when you're out and about and, mm-hmm. you know, and having a sensory experience with, with, with food. Um, I think we're trying to bring a very, you know, detail oriented and warm tactile experience to those spaces. Well, that's interesting. That, and it's, it's an interesting choice. And when was it that you decided we're going to do commercial as well, or maybe it went the other way we're doing. It. Yeah, no, I, I wish I could say I was very deliberate about that. It was very much like, uh, it just kind of, happened, which is kind of the nature of architecture. I think there's some people that have been able to be very specific. I think for me, you know, the opportunities that presented themselves, we chased them and they took us down a path. And that's just sort of been the nature of the way my career kind of developed. And so uh, I didn't set out to be a restaurant architect, but uh, Uh, the opportunities presented themselves and we took advantage of them and, and ran with it. And then here we are today. So right. we'll see what, what opportunities present themselves tomorrow and we will embrace them and run with them in the same, in the same method we did before. So could the case study program in your native Los Angeles, could, yes. that, be, could that be done today? Uh, I mean, you'd have to have some pretty big deep pockets to do that. I mean, right. I mean, cause you know, John Intenza basically financed all those houses uh, that they were building. So if you had a big benefactor that could do it, I suppose you could. But uh, I think, I mean, I think if you kind of read into the history of it, it, after a while, it sort of 
became too expensive to do. Right. Um, so, you know, I think in spirit, I think you could do that. And I think it's been, it's been tried before, um, in other, in other places. I, I think that there, I think the time that that was happening where we were and post-war and, um, you know, the, the sensibility of the fifties that was really kind of, um, looking for all of these modern conveniences of life that were sort of different. Mm-hmm. I think that was all right for that. So I don't, I don't think that there isn't that same kind of sensibility. Um, now, whether it could exist again, I, I think there could be in some kind of, some kind of capacity. I think there right, could be, right. like I said, I think right. you'd have to have a pretty big benefactor. You'd have to have somebody with pretty deep pockets. Yeah. And the canvas was so perfect because you're talking about location, you're talking about culture, socially, and then these talents swirling around that were just ready to bust out and kind of just. So, yeah, I agree. It would be something different. Um, Yeah. Speaking of your firm, Assemblage, you guys are headquartered on Sunset Boulevard. Is that right? That's correct. I find that very fascinating. I'm curious about that location and why you're like, boom, that's where we're setting up shop. And that's where we're staying. I grew up in West Hollywood on the Sunset Strip. So uh-huh. I grew up between the Whiskey A Go Go and the Roxy, uh, one block off of Sunset. So the Sunset Strip has been my stomping ground since I was a little kid. Uh-huh. Um, so in that way, it's quite fitting. Um, I think, uh, you know, Hollywood to me has just been my, you know, it's been my developmental playground for my whole life. So it's kind of perfect that we're, you know, smack dab in the middle of Hollywood. Right. Um, And I think that was just something that, you know, I don't know how specifically deliberate it was, but it was, Mm -hmm. you know, as I, as I, as I kind of looked for a home for assemblage, it's sort of like all the pieces fell into place and it made sense for us to be there. Um, Mm -hmm. The office space we're in is really quite, awesome and um it's very central and you know i think it's just it's 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 where i it's where i you know or i developed into a into a into a human and into an architect and it's just right it's perfectly fitting for 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 what we're doing right it's like someone opening up their store on main street in their hometown yeah 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 Sunset Boulevard is my proverbial main street. So there's a certain glamour or a certain Hollywood, um, I guess, aesthetic or influence maybe. Does that find its way into your work in some kind of way? I suppose just doing work in Los Angeles is Mm -hmm. fairly glamorous and it's, you know, and there's certainly opportunities for that. But I I, I think what we're, I think what we're trying to do is not necessarily um, highlight the glamour of Los Angeles, but highlight the beauty of Los Angeles. You know, I mean, I think Los Angeles is viewed by the rest of the world as, you know, this, you know, the Hollywood kind of scene and wow, that's an important piece and we, we embrace it and we support it and are happy that it's happening here. There's also so many other things going on here that are really profound. I mean, there's, you know, the culinary world is amazing. The, uh, the art world is amazing. The music world is amazing. I mean, there's so many incredible things going on in Los Angeles. And I think if anything, we are looking to highlight that, glamour of Los Angeles as much as the Hollywood glamour of it, right? Right. The Hollywood glamour may have a little bit more of the outreach to the world and brings a focus to Los Angeles that is global. 
and I love it for that. And I, I so embrace everything that is comes out of Hollywood and, 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 and that, but Hollywood, LA is, is, is a, is, you know, a pioneering place for all kinds of arts and, and, um, and incredible thinkers and people here that have really, you know, shaped the world. And, um, and in that way, that's what I think we're trying to celebrate about LA as well. Mm-hmm. The house you grew up in, your father created it. Was it a modernist home, the style? No, it was kind of a, it was a remodel that he did um, mm-hmm. to a house that we bought um, in 1973, I think. And, uh, you know, he remodeled it and we did an addition on it. And it was, you know, it was very, uh, I mean, it was very, it was modern in its, in its, um, it was kind of a wood shingled house on the outside with, you know, casement windows and things like that on it. So it wasn't very modern in its exterior form, but then he added a couple pieces that had these like, you know, very sixties and seventies kinds of, uh, uh, modern, uh, flares to it. Lots of super graphics on the walls and of primary colors and, my bedroom, uh, I lived in a loft that was kind of up in this, this, my, my room was an addition that he added on with the, um, my bedroom had a, a loft in it with windows that looked out onto the Hollywood Hills. So, I mean, it was, it wasn't necessarily modernist in flavor, but it definitely had modern sensibilities for the time of the, uh-huh. you know, where my dad's sensibilities came from and thinking came yeah. from in his, in his journey in architecture. Yeah. So it was super inspiring. It was an incredible place to be as a as a young person, and um, I think set me up for, um, you know, the life that I'm living, both uh, as an artist, an architect, and and as a person. So it was great foundation. Yeah, it makes sense. You are really steeped in this world, and your work reflects that. I'd like to think that our work is very honest and true right. to. Um, to it's where we began, where it comes oh. from, and where we are, and who we are, and what we're doing. I think it's yeah. very true and honest. Yeah.